find our way back to our seats for this morning's reading of God's Word. Keep it down, Jerry. Good morning. This morning we are going to be in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. But if you will bow your heads with me and let's let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you love this world so much that you gave your one and only Son, that we might be called your children too. Lord, help us to live in the gladness and grace of Easter Sunday every day. Let us look upon your grace and rejoice in our salvation. And help us to walk in that mighty grace and tell your good news to the world. All for your glory we pray. Amen. So verses 19 through 29. John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this is the word of the Lord. I want to begin this morning with a Latin phrase of all things, sine qua non, maybe something you've never heard before. It's a phrase that means something that is essential 
to something else. We've already heard this morning that Brammers have a two-year-old, have grandchildren in the home. And so we could say that a sin qua non of parenting is patience. Is that true? That is true. Uh, the discipline process for me, especially parents, we need patience when they are little for certain reasons. And then as they get older, we need patience for... Uh, for so patience is a sin qua non... <laughs> I'm just leaving that out, right? They're here. I didn't get permission. I didn't get permission to go into any detail, so I'm just leaving that out. Patience is a sine qua non of parenting. Literally translated, without which not. So something that is essential for something else. And I want to say just really clearly, really emphatically, at the very outset of this sermon, that without the resurrection, Christianity does not exist. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily, literal, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ is the sine qua non of Christianity. If Jesus did not rise on the third day, then we should not be here this morning. We are perpetuating a lie, a fairy tale, something other than reality if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But he did rise from the dead on the third day. We have a variety of appearances of Jesus. We have the word of God saying what I am saying right now about the essentialness of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So it's not just me, but it's the New Testament itself, the words of the Apostle Paul that says, If Jesus has not risen, then you, your, your faith is worthless. What we are doing this morning is meaningless, and, and worse than that, we're, we're perpetuating a lie, I would say. But the truth is that Jesus did rise on the third day. We have a variety of records and evidences for this. One commentator kind of summarizing the resurrection appearances, Leon Morris, he writes this. He says, we read of five appearances on the one day, the the day of the resurrection, to Mary Magdalene, to the women, to the two on the way to Emmaus, to Peter, and to the ten. So this is all on day one. Then there are five more appearances spread out over 40 days. And after that, no more, with the exception of the appearance by Jesus to Saul of Tarsus. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to get into the appearance not on day one, of Jesus' resurrection, but one week later or eight days later as the scripture version that was read this morning said. And, and as it turns out, one of those appearances on day one, the only ten of the apostles were there. Judas is, is gone. He, he's out of the story. But Thomas was not there at that first appearance. And so today, we are going to find encouragement for believing in the resurrection 
of Jesus looking through this situation that involves Thomas. C.S. Lewis writes this about the resurrection. He says the resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the Acts, in the, in the book of Acts. The resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which the Christians brought. What we call the gospels, like the gospel of John, the narratives of our Lord's life and death were composed later for the benefit of those who had already accepted the gospel. They were in no sense the basis of Christianity. They were written for those already converted. The miracle of the resurrection and the theology of that miracle come first. The biography comes later as a comment on it. The first fact in the history of Christendom is a number of people who say they have seen the resurrection. There were witnesses Up to 500 witnesses, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us, who saw this resurrection. This resurrection is the sine qua non of Christianity. Without this, we do not have Christianity. Are you with me so far today, church? And so what I want to do today as we get into our passage, which occurs one week later, is I want to deal with the reality of doubt that we experience, that Thomas experienced. It's interesting that in God's providence that Thomas wasn't there on day one of the resurrection to to witness this. He wasn't in that room. And so he's struggling and he doesn't believe and he is doubting. And, And I see, we're going to see in today's passage how gracious our Lord is with those who are doubting. Now I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I doubt. Sometimes I just doubt the whole thing, the existence of God, period, theism. There are other times where I might actually be doubting the resurrection. And so we're going to find fuel and hope and evidence for the resurrection of Jesus today through this experience with Thomas. If you don't have your Bibles open, I want to encourage you to have them open to chapter 20, the passage that was just read. I want to begin looking at verses 24 through 26. So I'm in John 20, verses 24 through 26. Let me read this portion again. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He wasn't with them the first on day one of resurrection. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not Believe it. I will not believe in the resurrection. This is one of the apostles. And, and the brothers, the guys he has been with for three years, day in and, and night out, living with them, seeing Jesus perform all of these miracles, hearing all of Jesus' teaching, the brothers come and say, we've seen him. And he says, I cannot believe that. He's full of doubt. Undoubtedly, he is also full of tremendous grief. He's not only lost his his friend, his Lord, his rabbi, the one he's been looking to and living with as they've traveled around the Sea of Galilee and into the area of the Syrophoenician woman and into Gentile and pagan territories. He's traveled all around with him. Not only did he lose him to death, but death by crucifixion. And so... I think part of what is going on in Thomas's heart and mind 
in addition to doubt, is grief and mourning. But he is not believing the words of, his, of, his, of the other apostles, of the disciples, where they say, we've seen the Lord. He, he wants evidence. He wants to see the nail marks. He wants to see his sides. He wants to put his hand into his side. Look at verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. So this is the same location where Jesus appeared on day one of his resurrection a week later. And Thomas was with them now. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. The third time he said that in this passage that, that we've read. So point number one this morning, a coming out of these verses, is that doubt is normal. Doubt is normal. It is not welcome in the Christian life, but but it is, it is normal, and we see this in one of the apostles, those who were the, the foundation of the church, the, the initial spreaders of the gospel and of the good news. Now, Thomas hasn't always been full of doubt as he is here. In fact, if we look back at chapter 11 of John's gospel, it says this, Then Jesus, therefore, said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You're probably familiar with this story where Lazarus, their friend, died. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, Jesus says, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus is is going to take the disciples to Lazarus in this famous story where Lazarus is brought back to life. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. In other words, Thomas is saying, I am willing to go and die with Christ. The hymn here is referring to Jesus. I'm willing to go and die with him. So we see Thomas was a man of courage and a man willing to lose his life with Jesus. Jesus has been saying, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And he says, I'm going to go with him. Now, interestingly, every time we read, virtually every time in the New Testament we read about Thomas, uh, it's mentioned that he is called Didymus. Or another way to translate that, I think the other translation that was read said he was called the twin. Now, it's interesting that that's always mentioned, but we're never told who his twin was. Now, throughout the history of the church, there's been a variety of of interpretations and, and speculations and guesses on who his twin was. Some people think that Thomas's twin was Judas. You don't really want to be kind of linked with that guy, right? So that's, you know, a, a, a theory uh, another theory is that he was the twin of Jesus. Some throughout church history have said that. Now, both of these things are just arguments from silence, and arguments from silence can either be proven or disproven. We don't know. But it's interesting that he is a twin. And it is more than interesting, it is part of God's sovereign providence that he wasn't there at that first meeting on day one. And that he's there on day two. And John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records not his great faith and not his great allegiance. Not that he's willing to die, but records his doubt. He wants evidence. He wants evidence. So I think, one again, one of the takeaways from this passage, takeaway number one, is that doubt is normal in the Christian life. It's not welcome, but it is normal And we shouldn't feel like I am going to be shot through. I'm going to be struck by lightning if I am doubting. 
we see the compassion of Jesus here, not just in recording this, but in how he's about to respond to this apostle, to this follower of Christ who is doubting. Let's come back to our text and and look at it. Pick it up at verse 27. So we're at uh, day eight, this appearance, the 11 are there. Look at verse 27. So here Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love the grace and the compassion of Jesus here. He, he, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't use harsh language like he uses for the pastors of that day, for the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees who get rebuked and get this harsh language, the self-righteous ones. Jesus doesn't respond that way to this one who is doubting his own brothers, his spiritual brothers that he's been with for three years. He doesn't respond that way. He says, put your finger here. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So one of the things I want us to see so clearly, that's so clear in this passage, is is that Jesus is is providing the evidence that Thomas is looking for. He's providing the evidence for someone whose doubts are, are serious, someone whose faith is weak, someone whose belief is weak. Now, Sometimes in our churches we speak in a positive way about blind faith, that we just believe it. Boy, you can't really support that from this passage, can you? That you should just believe this. Jesus is giving evidence to a doubter, his own follower, in that room. It seems that this is set up precisely for Thomas, this setting. So, I want us to see that doubt is normal, but it's not welcome in the Christian life. In this passage, I want us to also see out of this passage that doubt is removed in part by examining evidence. It is good and right for us to search out whatever we can search out and to answer the questions that we have. If you're here today and you are doubting the resurrection, whether you have been a part of the church your whole life and are a believer, a professed believer, or whether you're just here because someone you know, kind of really wanted you to be here this morning and you didn't want to be, my prayer for, for no matter who you are, that if you have inquiries, if you have thoughts about the resurrection, that you would do whatever you need to do to examine the evidence that we can examine 2,000 years later. Now, Jesus obviously did not come during a time of, of cell phones, right? So we, uh, now everything gets recorded, right? So we don't have an HD uh, recording of... Jesus' bodily appearances. He chose in his sovereignty not to come in that time. I believe if he came, if he had chosen to come at this time, which he didn't, we would have HD recordings of his appearances. This is a historical fact. But we don't have that recording. And so I want to encourage you again to to, the spirit of this text is that Jesus welcomes investigation to doubters. He did that with Thomas. And so what do we 
investigate? Well, I would say you start with the gospel accounts. You start with these, as C.S. Lewis described them, biographies of Jesus. This would be one place to start, to, to study what Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John say about the resurrection in those events, the gospel accounts and all of the New Testament. Another thing I would suggest is that you would look into books about the resurrection. Now, this is not a light read. I think it's about an 800-page book. It is a very scholarly book. It's not a book that I've read. But I'm just putting it up here because this book, called The Resurrection of the Son of God, written by uh, one of the greatest New Testament scholars alive today, a guy named N.T. Wright, this has become kind of the standard work on resurrection. It is a scholarly work that deals with it from a sociological standpoint in the first century, deals with it from a historical standpoint, from a religious standpoint. And and so I would encourage you to to look at this or other things to examine and to overcome any doubts or questions that you would have about the resurrection. But I would encourage you not only to read books by someone like N.T. Wright who believes in the resurrection, I would also encourage you to read books about those who doubt who, who deny the resurrection, who deny Christianity as real and as authentic. Somebody that would never be here on Sunday morning on an Easter Sunday. Uh, one skeptic, atheist, uh, from a previous generation is a guy named Bertrand Russell. And as I, through my reading over the last decade or so, I've come across his name very uh, many times by those who are skeptics and those who are critics of Christianity. And he has a very short and famous essay that he wrote called, Why I Am Not a Christian. And I would encourage you, if you have doubts about the resurrection or about Jesus, to not only read the very best literature that you can about the resurrection, but to read the very best literature that you can that denies the resurrection. So I read this, I didn't read the uh, 800-page books, you know, like pastors are supposed to read that. Like, I'm supposed to say, yeah, I read this, and, and it's really, really good. But I have a hard time reading 800-page books. Um, it, 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 it's, uh, it's just a stewardship for me, like 800 pages, that takes me a long time. So anyway, this one is really short, um, and so I've read this one. The, the, the good guy, I haven't read his book, but the bad guy, I've read, I've read his book. And I want to say, uh, after hearing all of these you know, modern-day atheists that we have, uh, Dawkins and Dennett and all these guys, if you're familiar with them, they're very popular. They tour the, the university scenes around the world, and they make these speeches, and lots of people come, and they talk about the resurrection. These guys say, this is who we learn from. And so I thought, I want to read what he said. I want to tell you, it was a massively faith-building experience for me to read this book. I'm not going to go through the details and his arguments with you. He's a philosopher. He's a logician. And as I, not a magician, but a logician. Do you know the difference between those? Um, I I, I saw through his arguments. He, He doesn't deal with the reality of the resurrection. And you want to talk about a contrast, even though I haven't read the other book, I've looked at it, and you want to talk about a contrast of, of dealing with what is real and what is important and someone who is wanting to believe such and such 
and sounding very scholarly, but not having substantial arguments. That's the way I came away with. So all of this to say, back to our passage here, this is a passage that is inviting those who doubt to look at evidence. Living so far removed, obviously very few had this opportunity to actually see Jesus alive. We've had uh, the 10 occurrences of that uh, uh, mentioned for us already. Very few people throughout history have had that opportunity, but we have other opportunities to examine the evidence. So how do we remove doubt is what I'm talking about right now. I want to say two more things about that. We're examining the evidence And then number two, believe the gospel. Look back at verse 27 with me if you still have your Bibles open. Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. So one of the ways that we remove doubt, those of us who believe in Jesus and profess faith, is to preach the gospel to ourselves, to believe the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins as our sin substitute. He rose on the third day. And all of the various themes within that gospel, we have to preach to ourselves regularly. And so we have to remind ourselves of that. That is what Jesus is doing. He's calling Thomas to believe the gospel. So we remove doubt by believing it. And then thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, doubt is removed through what the Bible refers to as the gift of faith. So I don't want to overstate the evidence. Point number one, I spent a lot of time on that. Believing in Jesus, becoming a Christian is not primarily a rational exercise. It's not like, okay, you've got to do, read all of these books or you've got to do all this research or whatever, and once you get to a certain tipping point, now you're over, the evidence is, the pros and the likelihood is greater than the lesser, and now you're a Christian. The, the, that investigation plays a role. But what makes someone a Christian, what the New Testament teaches that makes someone a Christian is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one should boast. So ultimately, at the end of the day, we are enabled to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to live for him because of this gift of faith, because of a miraculous regenerating work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives to make us new to make us long for the new heavens and the new earth, to make us love Jesus and want to worship him and to be excited about coming and singing together, getting a little glimpse of of, of glory of the new heavens and the new earth. So this is how doubt is removed. Doubt is normal. It's not welcome. It's removed by examining evidence, by believing the gospel, by the gift of faith. Let's come back to our passage here, verse 28. Look at it with me. Here's Thomas's response. So he, up until this point, he's been doubting. Show me the evidence. Jesus is there. He, he sh- he's shown up in this room. I haven't brought, drawn attention to this, but back in verse 26, the doors were locked. The doors were closed. In some new dimension, some new way that we can't understand, he shows up in that room. And Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. He, he, is, he has transitioned from doubt to calling Jesus his Lord and calling Jesus God. Jesus is 100% and fully God. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, he begins with this prologue, this very famous, in the beginning, um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on it right here. here somebody, somebody help me out. Yeah, the, the word was with God and the word was God is the part that I'm referring to. The very beginning in the prologue of Mark's gospel, 
it says that the word was God, the word word there referring to Jesus. And now we have basically at the end of Mark's gospel through Thomas, an affirmation of the deity of the 100% godness of Jesus through the words of Thomas. This is perhaps the clearest verse in the Bible that Jesus is not just a, a man. He is a man, but he's more than a man. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a prophet. But Thomas recognizes him as my Lord and my God. So he is declaring who Jesus is. So another way to remove doubt, to strengthen our belief, is by declaration. Belief is strengthened by declaration. This is part of why we gather in small groups and why we gather in this large group on Sunday morning to declare Jesus as our Lord and to declare him as risen. Because by and large, the people in the world don't believe that. And so we have this special community of coming together because our lives are oriented around this and we declare it in song and we declare it in the way that we live and we encourage one another in this faith. And so so Thomas is now doing that with his spiritual brothers that he's been saying, no, no, I don't believe you, I don't believe you. He is with them now. And, And his belief is strengthened by declaring that in this room on the eighth day. Last verse. I want to look at today, really, last couple verses, uh, verse 29. Then Jesus tells him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen. So here's a blessing for us on Easter 2017 and a blessing on every generation after that first generation who actually witnessed the resurrection. We are blessed because we haven't seen him. We weren't in the room. We weren't in the crowd of 500 that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15. And so the word of God has spoken a special blessing on every generation of believer who believes and knows that Jesus has risen from the dead, even though we haven't actually seen him. Is that cool? Do you feel blessed today? The word of God has blessed you in a special way for those who have made this journey from doubt to faith. The word of God has blessed you. So, let me finish up today. Uh, Words of Tim uh, Keller. He says this. He says, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to to weak faith in a strong branch. We have seen in Thomas someone with virtually no faith or very weak faith. But that weak or no faith was in a strong branch. In the branch, the person of Jesus Christ, who he had been with for three years and now is in his presence again. I want to encourage every one of us here today, no matter where we are in the spectrum of like, yeah, I'm right with Thomas. I'm not sure I believe this. I need some more evidence. Or whether whether you're like the Thomas at the beginning or whether you're like the Thomas at the end of today's passage who's saying, my Lord and my God, my prayer for all of us today is that our faith would be in this strong branch of the risen Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask for that faith to be growing in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the written 
witness and testimony of these biographies. Lord, I want to pray for those here today who have a a high degree of doubt or even a certainty that they do not believe in the resurrection. Lord, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would be speaking to them now and have been speaking to them through the living word of God. Lord, I pray that they would be willing to do whatever research, whatever reading, whatever discussions, whatever conversations they would need to overcome their disbelief. Lord, probably the majority of us in here today, we believe. We believe in Jesus. We believe not only in the man Jesus who lived and the man who died, but the man who rose on the third day, that he is fully man and fully God. But on this journey of faith, Lord, we we often struggle and we doubt. And so I pray that today, those of us who may be in a season of doubting right now, that, that we would be blessed and that we would be encouraged and see that God doesn't come down on us with, with, with just he's going to get me, but he wants us to be lifted up. Help us to preach the gospel to ourselves, to know you and to love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.